Welcome to The Hold Room with ACC, a quick update on all things relating to airport development as well as the Airport Consultants Council. This episode is part of a new passenger experience series hosted by ACC's Terminal and Facilities Committee. In this series, we are collecting the experiences and perspectives of different types of users of the airport passenger terminal including business travelers, leisure travelers, airport executives, airport, airline, TSA, and concession staff, and airport consultant staff, to name a few. For more information on this series and the hosts, go back and give the first episode a listen to. Rick Valentino and Scott Scramstad are with us today in the hold room representing airport operations. Please join us in hearing what they have to say regarding the future experience for passengers. Rick and Scott, welcome to the hold room. We appreciate you taking some time to talk to us today. Would you please tell us a little bit about yourselves? Sure. Why don't I go ahead and start? Scott Scrampstead. I'm with the Metropolitan Airports Commission that oversees the Minneapolis-St. Paul International Airport, as well as six smaller reliever airports located throughout the Twin Cities metropolitan area. I've been with the organization for 20 years now in a variety of roles. My current role is the Assistant Director of MSP Operations and Facilities. And in that role, I oversee our Facilities Management Department, our in-house trades group, as well as our Energy Management Center. Uh, good morning, Rick Valentino. I've been with the Metropolitan Airports Commission for 15 plus years now. Prior to that, I was with the airline industry and in a nutshell, I do whatever Scott tells me, but otherwise we are more responsible for the day-to-day -day operation of running MSP as far as maintenance operations and coordinating with the trades folks, like Scott had mentioned, according with our EMC folks and others to get things done, tenant relations, construction, some design, a variety of things, never the same day twice, and it's a good deal. Could you let everybody know what the trades group is? Sure. We call trades our Minneapolis trades. We have union carpenters, union electricians, union painters, and union plumbers. We have a group of all of those that help us maintain our building along with some service contract vendors. Right now, we're at about 55 total for our trades group. Obviously, as we started to learn more about COVID-19 and the pandemic, the narrative was shifting almost daily in the early stages. How did that narrative play out for the airport throughout the course of 2020? 2020 started off, like for most airports and most businesses, to be a really good year. We were tracking about a 5% year-over-year increase in terms of passengers in January, February, and very early on in March. And then all of a sudden, things kind of hit the wall mid to late March, and everybody knows what happened after that. We went from record passenger levels to pretty much the industry coming to a grinding halt. And at our lowest point, we were only at about 5% of what our pre-pandemic passenger levels were. So that required a lot of us to rapidly shift our thinking and our focus and become experts in things that we've never really dealt with before, specifically a pandemic and the science behind epidemiology, cleaning, disinfection. And what do you do when you're faced with a pandemic and still have an industry that relies on face-to-face -face interaction? 
One of the first tasks we had to do was really identify how we were going to survive financially and how we were going to protect our scarce financial resources. We have the largest janitorial contract in the state of Minnesota. We have several large contracts to do our tram maintenance, our conveyance maintenance, fire alarm maintenance, you name it, everything that it takes to keep the airport running. We really had to leverage our partnerships with those vendors and basically ask for concessions from all of them. And how are we going to partner to keep our services and our facilities maintained while facing this new COVID reality and the financial impacts associated with that? After that, we had to start thinking about how we were going to protect our passengers and our employees working at the airport and how we were going to make it safe for them to return to the airport and feel comfortable doing so. So that led us kind of into our tactical phase of the pandemic and trying to implement measures that we thought through CDC guidance, through industry partnerships and best practices was going to help protect our passengers and employees at the airport. We became experts real quick in sanitization, disinfection, tactical mitigation measures such as deploying hand sanitizers throughout the terminals, putting down floor decals in our checkpoints, elevators, trams. We put down seat blockers on every other seat, which ended up being about 3,200 different stickers on our public seating. And then going through all of that, trying to determine how we maintain all those assets. So once we put up 150 hand sanitizer dispensers, we now have to maintain those 150 hand sanitizer dispensers. And we had to source enough solution for a major international airport, which if you could believe it, in April and May, even an airport this size was having huge difficulties just finding hand sanitizer solution to provide to the public. So we had to navigate a lot of those challenges, and as I reflect back on it, it really is a testament to the fact that we were all agile, flexible, and willing to do whatever was needed to try to get us through this pandemic and keep people safe. In trying to deal with the financial issues as well as the tactical issues, were you able to tap into resources outside of your department to help you guys with some of those efforts? We were eligible for CARES Act funding. We had a large disbursement in 2020 from the initial CARES Act, another disbursement later in the year, and then again a third disbursement through another stimulus package earlier this year. But specifically, one item that relates to the work that we do in facilities is with regards to cleaning in our checkpoints. Through the CARES Act, the TSA provided funding to do the level of cleaning that they felt was necessary in the checkpoints with our contracted staff. So essentially, we put a cleaner in each of the open checkpoints, wiping down bins, wiping down tables, wiping down touch points whenever the checkpoints were opened. And all of that activity was fully funded by the TSA through the original CARES Act grant that airports were eligible to receive. We also started thinking outside of the box and trying to tap into some local national resources. So I'd mentioned earlier that in April, May, and June, it was nearly impossible to get enough hand sanitizer solution for an airport our size. We worked with FEMA and secured about five large barrels something like 400 gallons of hand sanitizer solution. And then we also were put in touch with another industry partner that had connections through Delta and were able to purchase about another three, 400 gallons of solution mid-summer last year. You know, so that's kind of one of the unique things that under normal circumstances, that opportunity wouldn't have been available to us, but just trying to work through some of our partners and our emergency contacts, we're able to find what we needed to keep the airport running. You mentioned passenger traffic dive bombing and reaching out to vendors for pricing concessions. How difficult were those discussions? 
the conversations were all very difficult, but we've had really good relationships with our vendors over the years that I think helped us as we leveraged those relationships to come to a mutual understanding. Everybody understood that the way it was in 2019 wasn't going to be the way it was in 2020. For the most part, everybody was willing to work with us, but there were some very difficult decisions because the concessions that we were asking for led to direct layoffs of very important staff here at the airport. Just the sheer reduction in passengers in certain areas. You know, we had some areas that we would do general cleaning pretty much on the hour throughout the operational day, so about 16 times a day, and now they may have needed it only once or twice. So we had several custodial team members laid off. It was difficult trying to right-size where they're needed at the reduced levels. And even with our conveyance contractors too, one of the big things right after the pandemic started is we shut down all of our moving walks. We have about 40 or so moving walks and we shut down nearly all of them to obtain that immediate savings that we needed due to the reduced passenger levels. And one of the really challenging parts with the discussions was on the one end, you have certain stakeholders asking you to cut costs and reduce services, i.e. our airline partners. They want us to reduce our budgets and reduce our costs because that directly helps them out in terms of rates and charges. And so we had a couple concourses, the A, the B, and even the G concourse that were almost completely shut down. But then on the other hand, those same stakeholders are asking for increased touchpoint cleaning, electrostatic disinfection, checkpoint bins to be wiped down. So it was a constant juggling act of trying to put the resources where they were needed and meet the conflicting needs of our stakeholders to cut costs but increase services in certain areas. Yeah, and everything kind of comes down from a government level where you wake up next morning and it's like, actually, we've completely done a 180 on this decision. You've got absolutely no control of what's coming down from a state level, right? Yeah, certainly. A lot of difficulty navigating the different guidance from the CDC, from the Minnesota Department of Health, and then just even what industry experts are saying. You also have other stakeholders that have their opinion of what needs to be done A good example of that would be some of the unions that represent the workforces out here. Their members are being faced with difficult decisions and layoffs, and they're obviously going to advocate to increase services where able. Yeah, it was just very difficult to navigate all the competing interests and directions that we were receiving. To Neil's point, as the guidance continued to shift, we had to shift our priorities and different things. Have there been any lessons learned from this pandemic? be flexible and be agile, right? Because we never know whether it's a TSA security directive, whether it's whoever thought pandemic, but got to be able to pivot and go in the next direction. And then relationships, as Scott mentioned several times, whether it's internal relationships, outside relationships or whatever, those are obviously key in moving forward for all of us here at the airport, for sure. As people are getting vaccinated and starting to travel, what are some of the challenges that you're facing now? We raised to get down to a right size, if you will, and now we're balancing how much of those amenities, those services, do we bring back. As passengers pick back up now, we start to strategically add services back or frequencies back to more mirror what passenger loads are here, still mindful of the budget constraints that we have. To tag along to that, right now we're facing the flip side of what we faced early on in the pandemic. Early on the pandemic, there was at times conflicting guidance. The guidance was changing. Now we have the same thing, but conflicting guidance on the reconstitution of the industry. 
So on the one hand, you have the CDC saying nobody needs to wear a mask anymore if you're fully vaccinated. On the other hand, the TSA has a security directive that was issued that extends to September 13th requiring masks in all public modes of transit, including airports and airlines. We were just also faced with that recently with one of our airline partners. They were the last ones that decided to unblock their middle seats. And in conjunction with unblocking the middle seats on their aircraft, they removed all of their references to social distancing. And their philosophy was, if we're not going to social distance on the airplane, why would we social distance in the gatehold waiting area? So one airline has no social distancing messaging in their gateholds, and still at the airport, we have social distancing messaging everywhere else. Checkpoint lines, our conveyance, all of our public seating that we're responsible for, et cetera. So we're kind of facing that same conflicting guidance right now and trying to manage that. And the other big thing is everybody's really struggling to bring staff back. During spring break, the airlines had to ramp up really quickly and just couldn't get people in here fast enough. So we had long lines at the airline check-in counters and bag drop areas. Same thing with the TSA. They had difficulty getting fully staffed up, so we had long lines at the checkpoints. And then now our concession operators, food and beverage and retail, they just can't find enough people to keep their stores open long enough to the hours that they want to operate at. So we're really facing a level of service challenge right now just due to the difficulties trying to bring people back to work at the airport. We'd interviewed Phil Burke a couple weeks ago and, you know, we were talking about the new passenger experience and providing great passenger and customer experience and the services we provide with the great facilities that we have. And he really stressed the importance of wayfinding and signage and part of this whole touchless technology with the push towards the interactive digital signage and directories that you guys have. What are your thoughts on that and what your plans are for the interactive digital signage at MSB? So wayfinding is huge for those of us that are out in the terminal every day. You know, we see the folks looking around, looking one direction, looking the other direction, and you identify those folks, hey, can I help you get to where you're going? The digital directories or the digital signing that we're starting to employ at Minneapolis allows us some greater flexibility and allows us internally to move some folks to possibly a better experience. We're working hard with technologies to try to display checkpoint wait times. So if you come to a decision point in our airport where I need to either go to the north or the south checkpoint, I see that the south checkpoint wait time is 10 minutes less than the north checkpoint. We're trying to give you that information to make that best decision. And we can direct other folks too. So maybe it's curbside check-in to one of our airline partners. We have some tie-ins with some of our conveyance equipment too that tells you that an escalator is down and maybe you need to take an elevator to get to a certain level quicker. I think as those technologies improve, the ability to change those and to be flexible with those allows us greater ability to move people through our terminal better, more efficiently. Ultimately, then the goal is a better passenger experience. We've kind of glazed over a whole host of technologies there the touchless experience, I'm guessing some kind of computer vision that you're using to assess TSA wait times, smart monitoring of facilities and walkways, dynamic signage. Out of a lot of these technologies that are appearing now and being introduced, what are you really excited about in the next few years? I think all of those, as they develop and, and they just become tools in our toolbox to help run our more efficient and better building. 
you know, good or bad about the airports commission is we run a pretty lean staff. And so we leverage those technologies to help our smaller work groups be more efficient. And so if I know that there's a large wait time and whatever, I can direct resources to a certain checkpoint. Maybe it's just people out there helping people find their way. Maybe there's an equipment issue. Maybe there's a building issue. We can direct folks there. Hopefully we know and can respond to that prior to passengers or tenants even telling us that something's wrong. So that's what I'm excited about. Any tools to help me do my job better, or our team's job better, I'm looking forward to that. I think I'm really interested in the development and maturation of passenger tracking technology. We've done a lot of work on the front of house, monitoring passenger movements through checkpoints. We also, as part of our restroom upgrade program, have sensors to count people in our new restrooms. So continuing to develop on that and to do some integrations with other technologies to make it more useful for the staff on the floor, I think that's really going to be a big help for us. And then I think there's some really cool things that can be done from the wayfinding side. Airports are already doing it. Seattle has an app that will help guide you through the terminal and get you to where you need to go. So things like that, I think, could really be a big improvement for us. One of the questions we've asked everybody is, what does a positive passenger experience mean to you? I'll start with the Max Vision is providing your best airport experience. But if you dive into that a little bit more, I think of as a passenger, you want a seamless journey through the airport with minimum wait times. You want a stress-free, calming environment with appropriate ambiance, signage, and wayfinding systems that are going to help people get to where they want to go. You want amenities that are going to make your time in the airport comfortable, so plenty of food and dining options, retail options, things like soft seating, etc., But all of those things, I think, in totality help make up a good passenger experience. A positive facility experience is they don't recognize that there's a light bulb out or there's a problem in the restroom. We're on that. They don't recognize that they have to take a stairs because the escalator or elevator has an issue. If we're doing our job and our teams are clicking like they can, it's a non-event. You don't know the facilities there other than the good stuff. Our senior management, their leadership has made it clear that's our mission That's why we come to work every day. So a positive passenger experience means we're doing something right. We don't want to rest on that. We want to keep being out front of things and make sure that we're providing that positive experience as technology changes, as systems change, as different things change, to make sure we're investigating those so we continue to provide that positive experience and be on the forefront. All right. That's great. Thank you. Thanks for joining us in The Hold Room for this special podcast series exploring the new passenger experience. You can find more from this series on the ACC Training Hub. That's training.acconline.org backslash the-hold-room or wherever you get your podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, etc. Follow us for more content from the Airport Consultants Council. You can support this podcast by leaving a rating or review and by telling your friends and colleagues about the podcast. Thanks again.